Ezekiel probably gives us one of the fullest pictures about the promise uh, of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have a tendency to only study it from a New Testament perspective, which is why I think there's a lot of of, uh, confusion and misunderstanding about what the Spirit was ultimately going to do, because we don't go back and see what was ultimately promised about that. And as we come into Ezekiel 34, we're at a turning point Uh, In this book where from chapter 34 to the end of of the book, we're going to see all kinds of pictures about what the spirit is going to do. And now in chapter 34, it won't specifically say spirit here. It will in 36 and 37 and many of the other chapters. But I'll show you that it is being observed even here in this chapter as these promises begin to unfold. Now, to set up why we have some promises happening at the end of chapter 33 of Ezekiel, you have a messenger coming from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon. And his message is that Jerusalem has been captured by the Babylonians and the temple has been destroyed. Everything that God had been predicting and promising and prophesying through his prophets about what was going to happen has now finally come to pass. And one of the amazing characteristics of God is that you don't have chapter 33 be the end of the story and then the final sentence is, God's saying, see, I told you so. I, I, I told you if you didn't repent, you know, that was going to happen. And so there it is that you always have God then putting on a, 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 a picture and a prophecy of now, what is God going to do about this situation? Now that the people have failed and God's wrath justly had to come for their sins. God doesn't end the story, but always says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And the promise then of the spirit is the is the big idea as we go from chapter 34 to the end of the book. Tonight, we're focusing in particular on chapter 34, where you're going to notice a picture about God promising a shepherd. But before he can do that, he wants to tell us about the problem of the shepherds that existed in Israel's day and what these people were dealing with in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want you to just listen to the first six verses of what is described about these shepherds. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, mortal prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you did not, you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek them. I want you to notice that he just starts off by saying the problem that you had at that time was ultimately selfish shepherds. That they failed to do the primary job, which was to tend the flock, to care for the sheep and and to feed them. And some of the selfish terminology that is 
uh, exposed here is, is fairly shocking. You'll notice in verse 3 it says there is imagery of robbing them, of fleecing them, and even slaughtering them is, is depicted. Which is stunning for a shepherd to do as here he is doing the absolute opposite of caring for the sheep. The shepherd has been destroying the sheep in, instead. And verse 4 really details some of the, the grave failures uh, that were going on. And listen to the, the pictures that are found here in verse 4. He says in, in verse 4, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strain you have not brought back, the lost you did not seek. And then he underscores it at the end of verse 4 and says, and then you ruled over the flock with force and with harshness. And it led to the result of the scattering of the sheep. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is this, I do think, gives us one of the best pictures of what God has in mind in terms of shepherding the flock. You know, sometimes we think about elders, overseers, and shepherds. We kind of just run to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and here are the qualities and qualifications of what's necessary for a shepherd. But I want you to see that this gives one of the best visuals of exactly what God is looking for. A shepherd is supposed to be strengthening the weak. A shepherd is supposed to be healing the sick and binding up the injured, bringing back the strain, seeking the lost, and not then ruling over the flock with harshness or with force. It really gives this great idea of what God wanted. And, and to, to see for us today that you don't have a shepherd is not a person who wants to be in charge or wants to be domineering or he wants to have authority so he can tell everybody what to do. In fact, you'll notice that you get the picture that that's the opposite of what God is looking for, that the shepherd is to care about sheep. They're supposed to care about their well-being. They're supposed to do what is in their best interest and to help them and heal them and, and, and bind them up. And I want you to notice from verse 7 through verse 10 that you will see that God says, and these shepherds are not going to get away with what they've done in taking advantage of the flock. Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves and I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So after describing all the failures of these shepherds and what they've done, God says, I want you to know something. These shepherds are going to be held accountable. And that becomes part of the hope that these sheep were ultimately to have. And I don't know if you've had that experience at other places, at other congregations, or been a part of situations, or have friends who have been a part of situations where... You had shepherds, you had leaders, elders, overseers 
that were doing the very thing that you read about here in, in these verses. They weren't caring for the sheep. They weren't trying to heal the sick. They weren't trying to bind up the injured. Instead, they just ruled with force and domineering authority and thought it was a position of power and was telling everybody what to do. And one of the pictures of the hope for the sheep is here God is saying, I see that going on. And those shepherds are going to be judged for that. I, I see them doing those things. And I will hold those selfish shepherds accountable for what they've done. How they've tried to intentionally take advantage of you. Or how they looked out for themselves. How they used that position as a place of domination rather than as a place of service. You're getting the picture of God saying, I see what's what's going on. And I am ultimately going to do something about that because I care for the flock. And I think there's a great hope in that. I have far too many stories and have heard far too many uh, terrible things of Christians who have been a part of groups where that's exactly what they had to deal with. And you have sheep saying, we don't know what we can even do. You know, what are we supposed to do is they don't do their job. They're not here to help us or taking advantage of us. They're, they're stealing, they're harming, they're doing all of these things. And one of the great hopes that God at least gives here is he's fully aware of that, that, that shepherds are going to be held accountable to, to God. And I'm I'm always stunned to hear those kinds of horror stories because I'm, I think in my mind, you know you're going to stand before God for what you're doing, right? Uh, you understand that you're going to be held to a higher degree of accountability because the sheep will be held at your hand as to how you led and how you fed and how you cared for them. And those are the very words that, that God gives right here. I'm going to hold it against these shepherds and require the sheep at their hand is God is ultimately going to do something about that and there will be a judgment. But then I want you to see what God does next because this becomes the amazing shift and this begins to give us a picture of the character and the heart of God. That the rest of the chapter is not going to say, so here's what's going to happen. You've had such terrible shepherds and that's why they're scattered all over the countryside. And so I'm going to make sure you have a bunch of good shepherds going forward who are going to take care of you and they're going to do a better job. I want you to listen to the words of verse 11. Here's God's answer. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy 
I will feed them in justice. What a picture. As I want you to see, God says, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. This repetition of God saying, I'm going to be the one who will do the work. I will be the shepherd and I will do what has lacked for my people. I will tend for them. I will care for them. I will give them the healing that they need. I will seek them. In fact, I love verse 15 where you have the picture where he says, I'm going to be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down. I'm going to give them rest. They're going to have peace. I'm going to ensure it that they can have exactly the kind of help and support and care and feeding and rest that they need human shepherds have been a failure so i myself will be the one who will bring this about i will be the shepherd for them and then i want you to notice that then god says a little bit more about that in talking about the problem not only does he say the shepherds were a problem in how they were treating the sheep but then in verses 17 to verse 22 He's now going to say there was also a problem among the sheep. (laughs) Listen to this in verse 17. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between the rams and the male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink the clear water that you muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink from what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I love this imagery that God says, And as a shepherd, I'm going to look at my sheep and I'm going to judge between them. And I'm going to determine who have been selfish sheep. And did you like some of the pictures that were given? Here are these sheep and they're enjoying the pasture, but they ensure that nobody else is able to enjoy it. So it says they stomp on the pasture as they're done and they knock down all the grass. And then they drink the clean water and it says, and then to make sure that nobody else can enjoy it, they walk in the water and muddy it all up so the other sheep don't have it. And then the other picture is, I think, very vivid in verse 21. You push with side and shoulder and thrust the weak. So here are these strong sheep and they're headbutting other sheep and shoving them with the shoulder and knocking into them and trying to knock them over. You're getting this whole picture of here's what was going on with my people. And one of the things that is so fascinating to me is, man, that just sounds like humanity, right? And it sounds like the problems of what local churches sound like is here you have bad leadership and they're wrecking the sheep and not doing the work. They're domineering and they're not caring for the flock. And then not only that, in the middle of the flock, you've got the fat sheep who are enjoying everything while the lean sheep and the weak sheep are all getting run over and trampled down and knocked down and nobody's caring for them. And God says, I've had it. I'm going to do something I'm going to be a God of justice to you. I'm going to give you the care that you need. I'm going to provide for you. So now here's the big question as you stand here at this moment. And you're listening to this prophecy as Ezekiel prophesies it to the people. The big question would be, so how is God going to do this? All right, you're telling us that the, the, the shepherds are, are selfish and are worthy of judgment. And we've got a problem of the sheep who are not behaving as sheep ought to behave, but are rather also selfish sheep and they need justice. 
So how is God going to come and shepherd his people? What exactly is, is he going to do to accomplish this? And that's the flow of the rest of this. Notice the shift that happens in verse in verse 22. <clears throat> in verse 22 it reads, And I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in the land. Let's stop there for a minute in the, in the reading. Here is this great hope. And here you have God saying, so I'm going to give them the one shepherd that they need. And the one shepherd that they need to rule over this flock is David. And you go, wait a minute, David. <laughs> now, David's been long gone at this point when Ezekiel is speaking. And so I want you to get a sense that you have this figurative language rising up. That this is imagery and metaphors and symbolism that he's using. That there's going to be a new David who's going to arise. And of course, that would harken back to 2 Samuel 7 as well as Jeremiah's prophecy in talking about there was supposed to be a son of David who would sit on the throne and reign forever with his kingdom established forever. And God is using that, that covenant picture and saying David is going to come and he is going to be their prince. He is going to be their shepherd. He is going to rule over them. And I think that's an interesting thought, you know, as, as you read passages like this, you know, sometimes there is the idea that, you know, was there prophecies that indicated that when the Messiah came, this Messiah, this Christ would actually be God himself. And there are passages like that, like here, where here God is saying, I myself will be the shepherd. But then he turns around and says, What's going to happen is that's going to be David. David's going to be that shepherd. So you're having that connection that the Messiah is going to be God himself who is going to come and do this shepherding work. And I want you to see how that's all going to come about. And notice the picture that's presented to you in verse in verse 25 after describing David as this prince, this ruler, this king, as well as describing him as a shepherd. You will notice that verse 25 says he's going to make a covenant of peace. Now, that's a really important picture because why are these exiles in the condition that they're in? Why have they been separated from the promised land? Why has this judgment happened? Why is the temple destroyed? Why has Jerusalem gone through its invasion and been conquered? Because of the wrath of God for their sins. And now you have a picture of God saying, 
But when my shepherd comes, I'm going to make a covenant with them. And what that's going to do is indicate that the wrath of God toward his people has ended. It's instead going to be a covenant of peace. And I want you to listen to the imagery of this covenant of peace, how it's described. If you slow down in verse 26, notice it doesn't just say, I'm going to make this everything around them full of blessings. It says in verse 26, I will make them and the places all around my hill my blessing. I will send down showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. I want you to hear that God is saying, not only am I blessing my people because of the covenant of peace, but I'm going to make the people a blessing. You yourself will be a blessing. Not only will you experience the blessings of God when the shepherd comes, but you will, you yourself will also be able to be that blessing. Now, I mentioned at the beginning as I introduced this, this lesson that you don't in chapter 34 specifically have the word, the spirit. But I hope you see in this verse that that's exactly what you have. The picture of a showering of blessings is going to come. That is exactly how God describes the work that is going to be accomplished when the spirit comes. Places like Isaiah 44 and verse 3, Isaiah 32 and verse 15 are places where the pouring out of the spirit is also described as like a pouring out of water or an overflow of water on dry land so that it springs up and blooms and is a blessing. Here is Ezekiel using the same picture is that when the Messiah comes, when this David arrives and he is going to be a shepherd, he's going to establish a covenant of peace that will allow for God to bless his people and allow for the people themselves to be a blessing. And I want you to notice when he's pointing to at the end of verse 27, where I stopped in the reading, middle of verse 27. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved him. What I want you to see is that God uses terminology that almost sounds like being in exile and coming back to the land, but he's talking far bigger and saying the slavery that you are in, and he's talking about a slavery to sin and how you've been enslaved to Satan and you've been enslaved to those evil ways. What I'm going to do when I come is I'm going to break that yoke. I'm going to break those bars apart so that you will no longer be captured by your sins. You're going to be set free. And then that wrath of God will be ended towards you. It will be a covenant of peace and I can shower my blessings upon you. It is a, a wonderful image that gives the conclusion in verse 30. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. So let me give a, a big idea. Then we're going to talk about some New Testament messages. But big picture I want you to see Ezekiel starting with is that there is this wonderful proclamation that 
When God comes to shepherd his people, his purpose is going to be to establish a covenant of peace, to bring in the lost sheep, to be able to bind them up, to heal them, to seek after them. And by doing so, now God will be able to shower his blessings upon his people because God can be their God and they will be his people. That relationship will be put back into place. Now, Probably one of the places you know very vividly of a picture of of Jesus being spoken of as a good shepherd is in John 10. So I decided not to use that one because that's probably the most easy one to to reach for. Noting how the New Testament, you have Jesus coming along and saying, hey, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And I hope that you, when you read words like that and Jesus stands up and says, I'm the shepherd, this is what should have come to mind. That this, a passage like this, where here is God saying, when my shepherd comes, it's going to be God himself. And he's come to bind up the brokenhearted. And he's come to set the people free. And come to establish a new covenant of peace with them so that the wrath of God is ended. And he's coming so that the people can have the blessings of God come back upon them. That should have been what would have been in their ears. For him just to say, I am the good shepherd. It's not just to feel good. Oh, he's a shepherd. Isn't that great? But it is very powerful in what God was promising. But let me take you to another place. Three passages and then the lesson will be yours. Passage one, Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This seemed like one of the best summaries of Ezekiel 34. Notice first thing that the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. But then notice when he says, how is he the great shepherd of the sheep? By the blood of the eternal covenant. And then notice what the result of that is. Equipping you with everything good. Here's the showering of blessings upon the people. All three of those pictures are found in this simple sentence. In talking about the Lord Jesus, great shepherd, blood of the covenant, blessing us, giving us everything that we need to do what is pleasing in his sight. What I want us to think about with this first picture of Jesus as the good shepherd is that it truly gives us a beautiful image of the heart of God. I want you to think about Luke 15, where Jesus tells, I call it one parable with three stories in it. We sometimes call it three parables. We have the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And he tells all three of those without a break. And in all three of those parables, these three lost things, there are two key truths that are zeroed in on. First, in all three, you have a diligent looking. Here is the lost sheep. The shepherd doesn't go, well, 99 out of 100 ain't bad. So, you know, that's all right. Leave the 99, go after the one. Then you have the the 10 coins and she loses one. And she says she cleans the house, looking everywhere, trying to find 
the one coin. And then with the lost son, you see the father who was looking for the son in the distance, hoping for his return to come back from his sinful and lost ways as he looks out there for him. First key thing about who God has a heart for his sheep. How much he cares for them that he would say words like this. I'll be the shepherd. I'll do the work. Since no one else can do it, I'll be the one that will take care of what you need. And the second key truth in all three of those is that there's great rejoicing. Great rejoicing when the lost is found. When the shepherd gets that lost sheep, when she finds the lost coin, and when the father receives the lost son back. In all three, it's a party. It is, it is rejoicing. And you have Jesus saying, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. That is the heart of God. And you are seeing that here. Why does Jesus do the work that he does? Because it is the heart of God to rescue his people. That is who he is. He cannot bear to see sheep lost and rejoices even over one. And we must have that kind of heart like God has that look at sheep in that way and care for sheep in that way, just as you see God caring for his flock. And caring for his flock brought about the necessity of a, of a covenant. And that's what Ezekiel 34 says. And Colossians 1 makes this point very clear. Colossians 1 verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here is this great image that the blood of the covenant has what has made it possible so that we can have peace with God. And by having peace with God, we can enjoy the blessings of God. It is not by accident that God uses that phrase, blood of the covenant. You might remember in the Lord's Supper, when he gets to the fruit of the vine, he calls that, this is my blood of the new covenant. This is representing what I have accomplished for you, how I have established a covenant that has made peace between us and you, us Godhead, and you, the people of God, so that we can be in relationship, so that I can pour out these blessings upon you. The image that the New Testament tells us is that now we can be without fear. We have this great shepherd so that the writer of Hebrews would say, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can people do to me? Or the apostle Paul in Romans chapter eight, proclaiming nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This is what is being pictured here that I will make them secure in the wilderness. I will make them lie down. They won't have to worry about wild beasts. Their cares will be taken care of because I have them spiritually and no one can touch them because they belong to me. And that is what Ezekiel has prophesied and what the New Testament is seizing upon is the heart of God as he wants his people with him and he will care for them and provide for them. So let me get to the final point then. What I want us to see then as Ezekiel 34 pictures is that the problem is not with God saving his sheep. 
God says, I'm going to save my sheep. I will bind them up. I will bring in the injured. I'll seek the lost. I'll help the strain. He just goes through all of the pictures. The problem is not God saving sheep. The problem is we don't let God save us. And the sheep illustration works really well. Have you ever witnessed online, or maybe you've seen it in person, but probably in some video somewhere, where there is an animal like a sheep of some kind and they are stuck in a fence, they're stuck in some twine, they're stuck in some kind of predicament. And the human is now trying to approach the animal to set the animal free. But the animal is kicking and clawing and wailing on that human as they try to get in there and do the work to set that animal free. And the animal is just having none of it and just is just giving that human all kinds of terrible problems. And all he's trying to do is help that animal out. That's us with God. Here is God saying, I'm coming up to rescue you. And we just start kicking him away. No, no, we're fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll take care of this myself. I can get you out of the barbed wire. No, no. And we just flail away. The problem is not God saving us. He says, I will be your shepherd. I will bind you up. I'll take care of you. I'll heal you. I'll save you. The problem is us. We so often kick against our savior. And here is God trying to save us trying to shower us with blessings, trying to make us a blessing, trying to offer us this covenant of peace. And we just resist and resist and resist. So the choice of the sheep looks like this. Here's how the scriptures picture our two options. Isaiah 53 and verse six. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. That's what that means. In the picture of what we've seen in Ezekiel 34, sometimes that's the sheep we are. We just go, I'm going to go my own way. That's the choice we often make. God said, I'm trying to save you. I can heal you. I can bless you. I can rescue you. I can transform your life. It can be completely different because the Messiah has come. Jesus is that good shepherd. And we go, I'm going to go my own way. Or... The words of Peter, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The choice is the sheep. Will we continue to go our own way, or will we hear the promises of what God is saying? I want to give you the healing you need. Stop resisting. Stop going your own way and return to the great shepherd who has blessings for you if you'll follow him. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so amazing, just absolutely amazing, that you see us as lost sheep, that we have gone our own way, that we've wandered far from you and that rather than letting us go you sent your son to bring us back Lord we praise you and we thank you that you love us that much that you have not left us to wander away 
and to have to experience the certain consequences of judgment that we deserve. But that you have such a heart for us, such a love for us, such a desire for us, that by giving your son, you would make peace with us through the blood of the covenant. And that through your son, you could bless us and care for us and give us the healing that we need. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our efforts, that we would not resist you, that we would receive your blessings, receive your salvation, that we would accept what you were getting us to do in our lives, that we would stop going our own way, but follow your way, that we would stop listening to our desires, but follow your desires, because we see the kind of shepherd you are that loves us and cares for us as we ought. So thank you, Lord, for loving us. Forgive us for when we have wandered away. Lord, help us to always come back to our shepherd and overseer of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful picture in kicking off this imagery of the blessings of God and what God is going to do for his people. He sets forward and says, first, you need a shepherd. And this shepherd will be the rescue that you need. Can we help you tonight to come to him, to turn away from sin, and to return to your shepherd and overseer of your soul by following him with all of your heart? Just let us know what we can do. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?